0: Which is part of the media ministry of Cornerstone Church, you can listen to this and other messages on our website at www.cornerstone.org or by subscribing to our podcast. Today's teaching is by Pastor Daryl Ruiz. Ephesians, Ephesians. Can I read a whole lot of verses to you in order to preach one? Can you take it? Ephesians. We're going to be in chapter two, looking at verse ten. But I want to give you, a, I want to give you a review just by reading, because in verse ten of chapter two, he uh, he switches gears for us. But I want you to hear it. I want you to hear it all. So hang on. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to the saints who are at Ephesus and who are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before Him in love. He predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus to Himself. "...according to the kind intention of His will, to the praise of the glory of His grace, which He freely bestowed on us in the Beloved. In Him, the Beloved, we have redemption through His blood, forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished on us. In all wisdom and insight He made known to us, the mystery of His will, according to His kind intention, which He purposed in Christ, with a view to an administration suitable to the fullness of times, that is, the summing up, the adding up of all things in Christ, things in the heavens and things on earth. In Him also we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to His purpose, who works all things after the counsel of His will, to the end that we who were the first to hope in Christ would be to the praise of His glory. In Him you also, after listening to the message of the truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in Him with the Holy Spirit, of promise, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of His glory. For this reason, I too, having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus, which exists among you in your love for all the saints, I don't cease giving thanks for you while making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of Him. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you'll know what is the hope of His calling, what are the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints, and what is the surpassing greatness of His power towards us who believe. These are in accordance with the working of the strength of His might, which He brought about in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at the right hand in heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named not only in this age, but in the one to come. And He put all things in subjection under His feet and gave Him as head over all things to the church, which is His body, the fullness of Him, who fills all and all. Now you, you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked, according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience, Among them, we too, all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature, by birth, children of wrath, even as the rest. But God, being rich in mercy, because of His great love, which He loved us with, even when we were dead in our transgressions, He made us alive together with Christ. By the grace, you have been saved." Raised up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the ages to come, He might show the surpassing riches of His grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace, remember, you have been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. Up to this point, Paul has made it very clear that the work of your salvation was God's. It was God's. He ends that thought as we just read with the words, "Not as a result of works, your working, your doing, your achieving." All of this of salvation had nothing to do with your achievements, with your goodness. You have none. Scripture says there are none good, no, not one. We may compare ourselves and be better to the other, but there are none good. There are none holy, there are none righteous in comparison to the righteousness and the holiness of our God. We all fall short of the glory of God. So we all miss the mark, we all miss the standard. And so it's, it's not surprising that our salvation cannot be an achievement of our own. It's not surprising that in verse nine, he will say, it's not a result of your works. And that's so that none of you can boast or brag. None of you can stand head and shoulders above another and say, I was smart enough, I was wise enough, I figured it out, why doesn't that guy figure it out? Or I figured it out to this degree, and this guy's only figured it out to this degree. There's no JV and varsity jockeying among Christians in the church. There's no seating chart among the believers. We're all on level ground. We've all been brought in by the grace of God. We were all in need of God's grace. So it's not by our working. And this, this whole portion of his letter that I just read was to that end, was to that point, that God is the focus of our salvation achievement. Not you and I. It's not by our works. It's not by our works. We have nothing. We have no grounds. No grounds to stand and brag upon. Now having said all that, like uh, any good preacher does, you gotta balance the equation a little bit. Very often, I feel like in my preaching, I have to qualify what I'm saying. I have to say this because if I just say this, then maybe, maybe you don't get a balanced approach. Does that make sense? I'll give you an example. Last week, uh, I was preaching uh, part of this passage we just read, and I was trying to make the point, as Paul was, that there is nothing in us, nothing in our person that moved the heart of God to cause him to send Jesus to save us. There was nothing lovable about us in our doing, in our character, in our being. We we were sinners, rebellious children. We were haters of God. God had to come and save us, but it wasn't because he saw some spark of goodness in us. No. That would mean that we merited God coming to some degree or another. That's not the truth of Scripture. And what I said was, Something to the effect of there's nothing, nothing we can do as dead men, chapter 2, verse 1. Trespassers, sinners, there's nothing we can do that would move the heart of God to send Jesus to save us. In truth, what happened is the heart of God moved the heart of God. God is love, He's perfect love. He doesn't need anything in us to spark His love. Does that make sense? And so, in me saying, there was no way that we could move the heart of God in our sinful state, in our deadness. We could not impress God so that he would say, oh, let me send Jesus for that guy, that lady. That's not the truth of what happened. Afterwards, somebody asked me, um, okay, pastor, but as believers, right, we, we, we can move the heart of God, right? Absolutely. As born-again, believing children, do we move the heart of God? We sure do. We sure do. It starts with a heart of brokenness and repentance at salvation. Uh, Psalms. Um, a broken and contrite heart I will not despise. Don't bring me sacrifices. Don't bring me your works, your deeds. Those things I will not receive, but a broken and contrite heart I will receive. At repentance, at conversion, it's, it starts that our heart moves the heart of God. His, he loves his children. This heart is moved by children. You see the point I'm making here? Very often, I, I didn't say all that. What, what I said was in regard to us being as dead men. And um, there was a little maybe confusion there, at least in the heart of one person. Got that cleared up. Um, Spurgeon said it the way I put it in your bulletin. Eric, read what Spurgeon said there in your bulletin. I didn't bring one up here. Bottom left there. This was at the beginning of... One of his sermons on a very topic just like this. We shall not be afraid of leaving any of with evil spirits this morning. Do that. We shall say, for after our frequent exhortations to avoid anything like such evil works, attended as they attended as they have been, Jesus by the Holy Spirit, we are not afraid that you will so misunderstand us as to suppose that when we speak of good works. Yeah, that's a mouthful, right? Spurgeon's always a mouthful. Let me translate a little bit for you. That was the first words of his sermon. A sermon on a passage in Titus that says, Be zealous in good works. Similar to the passage I'm about to read to you. But the very first thing he had to say was, Listen, now, you understand based on everything I've already taught you, You're not going to be confused here that I'm saying that these good works will somehow achieve your salvation. Let's just get that clear. But he had to bring that clarity. We very often have to bring that clarity. Chapter 2, verse 10 is uh, in some sense Paul doing that very same thing that I'm talking about right here. He's been pointing at God, pointing at God. It's nothing to do with you. It's nothing to do with your achieving, your working, your earning, your salvation. But then in chapter 2, verse 10, he says this, we are his workmanship. That's that's a summary of what he's been saying. God's the one at work here. We're his workmanship, created or born anew in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. That's the entirety of the focus of our text this morning. Do we, have a, do, do we believers have a place in our hearts and lives, in our walking out of our salvation for good works, good deeds? We absolutely do. And it's almost like here in chapter 2, verse 10, Paul comes along after saying all this that, listen, it's not by your works lest any of you would boast about you helped God out in your salvation plan. No, that's not true. But let me tell you that God has saved you. You're his workmanship and you've been created anew. He's rebirthed you. He's reborn you, okay? You've been born anew and now in your new birth, you better believe that he's got some good work for you to do. Amen? Does that have anything to do with the earning of your salvation? None at all. But it's as if Paul said, let, let me just make sure you understand here. That doesn't mean that we live however we want to live now. We have, in other places, he'll say, we've been bought with a price. God has paid a high price for our salvation and he has earned the right to be Lord now, not just Savior of our lives. That's what this means. And so now our lives must be overflowing with good deeds, not to impress God, not to earn his salvation. Why would we overflow our hearts and lives with good deeds? Why would we walk out the rest of our lives in good works? It's it's obvious after you've read everything he's just said up to this point. If God has done all that, God has done all that for me. To the praise of the riches of the grace of his glory, you better believe that I'll give my life wholly and completely to him. Whatever he asks, I'll do. Whatever he asks, he can have. He's bought me. He's paid a high price for me. He's paid the highest price. He's redeemed me. He saved me. He can have it all. He can have it all. So uh, um, this message comes down basically to one question, one challenge question. And uh, I've been looking for one of those messages. I've been thinking that there's one out there. A message where I can just read the text, preface it, ask you this challenging question, and walk off and just leave you. And if we get done 20 minutes early, we get done 20 minutes early. But the question alone would be enough without all my extra blabbering. This might be one of them, but you're not getting off that easy because i got some stuff to blabber about. But here's the question. Here's the question. If we are his workmanship created anew in Christ Jesus, and we were created for good works, works that God has prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them, no longer walk as dead men, the bookend to verse one and two of chapter two is verse 10. Now we walk in good works. Question then is, what good works has God created for you? What good works has God created for you? I will keep it simple. I'll keep it simple. Apart from that question alone, um, let me give us a couple words of challenge and encouragement, but not necessarily in that order. You figure out which is which. Number one, in the church, when we're dealing with Christians... Uh, essentially we're dealing, you understand, with volunteers. And it's always difficult to motivate volunteers. The uh, former president of a ministry called World Visions, a nonprofit ministry, he said this about working with volunteers and the difference between working in a for-profit organization. A profit-making organization is the easiest to run. It's a business with a narrow measuring stick for success. Profit. The next easiest to run is a nonprofit organization like World Vision. We pay our people. We can hire them. We can release them. I like that he didn't say we could fire them. We can release them. There are more problems than a profit company in a nonprofit company, but we still have a strong measure of control. Running a volunteer organization like the church, however, is the hardest. The church accepts everyone, warts and all. Yet you're challenging these people to difficult ministry without any pay. I thought about that as I, as I read that, uh, that illustration, and I get it. I've actually said those very things to, to different ones of you that uh, run businesses and things, and I've said there's a difference between leading a church. We, I've had those conversations. You know what I thought of at the end of this passage in reading that illustration? We do. We do have a pay. We do have a pay. Part of the reason I wanted to read to you the entirety of the, the previous verses is because when you grasp, when you grasp all that God has done for you, and where from which He has brought you, and what to which He is taking you, and all currently that he is providing for you. It is a small thing for him to ask our very all. This is a nonprofit volunteer organization. And there are times when we, we feel like we would be straining you to ask you to do this or to do that, any of the good works we might ask you to participate in. But the truth is, here's the heart by which each one of us should accomplish any of those good deeds within the church. It's that God has very richly paid us by his grace. And I think when Paul's readers got to that verse 10, they weren't thinking, well, I'm not getting anything out of this deal. What, do you want? what, do you, what kind of good work do you want out of me? That was the furthest thing from their mind. Why? Because they had just read of the rich mercy and grace of God which had been poured out for them by the blood of the Son, sent by the love of the Father, pressed upon us through the work of the Holy Spirit. It's, it's nothing to ask for our very all, is it, church? We get paid. The attitude we should take, I've read in another story, story of the building of St. Paul's Cathedral in London, A uh, An interviewer came, a journalist came to ask some of the workers a number of questions during the grand building of St. Paul's Cathedral. The question they asked of some of the workers is, what are you doing here? Just a plain, basic question. What What are you doing here? One of the workers was said to answer, I'm cutting stone for three shillings a day. That's what I'm doing here, a little begrudgingly. Another worker said, I'm pulling 10 hours a day on this hard labor. But another replied, I'm helping build the greatest cathedral in Great Britain for the glory of God. And that's, that's a good answer. Hard work? Absolutely. Little pay? Maybe. Long hours? Sure. Right heart? That's it. For the glory of God. I chuckled when I heard the story of the pastor who was... Uh, was doing some work out in the yard of his church. Uh, It was sort of a city setting. And a man walked up and he asked him uh, what it would take to be a part of his church. But he had a qualification of his own. He said, now listen, uh, I can only be here once a week for one service a week. I can't be here for the Wednesday or the Sunday night if you do that. Um, I'm only good for one service a week. And uh, I can't do any committees. I can't do any teaching. Uh, don't, don't think I'm going to be able to sing. Uh, I just won't be able to do really any special projects or to help with the setting up of chairs or any preparation work, any of that. I can't, can't do any of that. And I'm afraid I'll never be able to go on any sort of visitation or any home visits or anything like that because all my evenings are tied up as well. The minister thought for a moment, and he answered the man. He said, well, you know, you know what, sir? I, I actually think you've, uh, you've come to the wrong church. You need the church three blocks down on the right. The guy was a little surprised and he said, okay, shook the pastor's hand, walked three blocks, found on the right after three blocks, a boarded up church with a sign that says, we're, we're closed. And you get, the, you get the point here? That's the church you're looking for if that's, if that's, if that's your heart towards the work. It'll be a closed down, broke down, shut down church. We need the body to endeavor in the good deeds that God has called us to in Christ Jesus. One man said that volunteer work or working with volunteers is kind of like working with a wheelbarrow. You have to push it and it's very often upset, turned over. Um, I don't want you to think, though, this morning that this message is all about, or even primarily about, you you volunteering and doing things here at this church. Because it's much bigger than that. You get that? Does the church body that you commit to and are a part of, do they need you? I mean, do we need you to show up on Sundays? Yeah. Yeah. Do we need you to be a part of endeavoring to make this a bright light to this community? Absolutely. Do we need you to sign up for Pancakes next week because there's only one person signed up? We sure do. A little plug there. Um, but that, that's a small part of what, what I'm intending you to get this morning. When God says through Paul that God has prepared for us good works to walk the rest of our days out in, He's not just talking about picking up your place of ministry here at this church. You get that right? You have ministry to do beyond these walls. So let me give you a, let me give you another encouragement/ slash challenge. No matter how small your part may seem, you are needed to play it. Some of you may think, well what, what can I really do?" You know I mean we're trying to keep this thing simple here yeah okay, God has called me in my salvation to be a good deed doer to 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 walk out the rest of my days in in response to what he 's done for me in good deeds in righteous holiness. What can I realistically do? I uh, remember back in high school being in practice one day, my senior year uh, on the football field and uh we were practicing the offense for a team we were about to play. And this offense that we were about to play did a lot of misdirection. What that means is is that they would send the guy this way, but then he would give the guy going this way the ball. And so you thought the play was going this way, but then they were going the other way. And the defense was trying to prepare for this, right? And so what is important here is is that if we start to run the ball this way, you don't just everyone run this way. If you're over here, you got to stay home is what they call it. You got to stay home because very often they might reverse the field and bring the ball back this way. You tracking with me here? Well, we were trying to teach our defense this and this guy over here kept running over here right off the bat, leaving this side of the field wide open. Nobody was covering this spot. And so we had this coach. He was a big dude. His name was Coach McCall. And uh, you didn't want to make Coach McCall mad. And so he grabbed this weak safety, this little dude, who kept running across the field. He grabbed him and he said, listen, took his heel and he marked out a 10 by 10 box on the field. And he said, this is your spot. If you don't cover it, we lose. You have to cover. You got to own this spot on the field. In order to make his point, here's why I remember this. In order to make this point, he, uh, he threw the guy out of the way and he said, run the play, Ruiz. And so I'm over here on the offense and we run the play and we run this, uh, <clears throat> this play where we're going to fake it this way, but then I'm going to throw a slant back to this guy who was a good friend of mine, still to this day. And so I faked it over here. My buddy went on a slant. He weighed about 120 soaking wet with all of his pads on. He cut across the middle, and everybody's just kind of watching. I throw him the slant on the backside, and Coach McCall, who was going to illustrate that this spot on the field is very important, he doesn't just stop right there and say, all right, now, see, I'm covering my guy. He blasts my wide receiver. He takes him out. No pads, no helmet, no nothing. Knocks this kid Out. And we all laughed because it was funny. But the point had been made, and it had been made forcefully. You got to cover your spot on the field. I don't care how small you think you are. I don't care how small you think your work or your part of the kingdom work on the field for Christ is. We got to have you, whoever you are, doing your job in your part of the kingdom for our God. Does that make sense? Uh, Spurgeon, I'll give you another Spurgeon quote. He put it this way. You can't can't do it much better than Spurgeon most of the time. Preaching to this end, he said, don't hold back because you can't preach at St. Paul's Cathedral. Be content to talk to one or to two, house to house. Very good wheat can grow on a very little field, church. You may cook in small pots as well as in big ones. Little pigeons can carry great messages. Even a little dog can bark at a thief and wake the master and save the house. A spark is a fire. A sentence of truth has heaven in it. You don't have to man this position to accomplish great things for the kingdom. And your turf, your area of the field doesn't have to be really big to save the game. For one soul. Spark is a fire. One sentence can hold the keys to the kingdom. You can speak to one or two in in a house, in a cottage. We need you doing your part, however small you think your part may be. Let me give you another one. But you don't understand, Pastor. I work in a factory. Uh, uh, I'm on a I'm on a Bob. Uh, forklift all day. There's nothing really I can do there. Uh, I work in a school. They won't let me talk about anything. I ride the back of a trash truck. I, give me whatever, whatever you want to give me. Any, any job you want to give me. And just here's the challenge to you. Number one, God knew whatever it is he would be finding you do when, you, when, he, when he saved you. Okay? Whatever task, whatever earthly job you're doing, he knew what you'd be found doing. And what I would say to you, and I think what Paul would say to you is, is you can do whatever you're doing to the glory of God, and you can make whatever ground is yours, whatever part of the field of our work of the kingdom is yours, you can make that ground holy ground. Whether it's in a factory, whether it's in a schoolhouse, whether it's in a very secular business setting, you can make whatever your ground is holy ground, by taking the God that is in you, the Jesus that is in you, the Holy Spirit that wants to work through you, taking Him to your spot on the field. You can make it holy ground. That's a choice you have to make, though. Let me give you one more. As a body, we need each other. We need each other. Because... I will tell you, especially from uh, this position, the, uh, the task itself, as you look at it globally, is a daunting one. And I can't do all of it. You can't do all of it. And so the, just the practical reality is, is that we need everybody to take up their spot. Okay? So that no one of us feels like we're overwhelmed with the task at hand for the, for the kingdom of our God. We need everyone to take up their spot on the field so that not everyone shoulders more responsibility than they ought. W.A. Criswell, famous pastor in uh, Dallas, Texas, First Baptist Church in Dallas, he wrote this one week in his uh, letter to his church. In a moment, I think, when he was feeling especially burdened by the task at hand. He said the population of this country is about 200 million. 84 million are over 65 years of age, and practically speaking, um, that leaves the work of ministry to the remaining 116 million. People in our country that are under age 20 are 75 million, which leaves now 41 million to do the work. There are 22 million that are, unemployed, uh, that are employed by the government, which leaves 19 million to do the work. Four million are in the armed forces, which leaves 15 million to do the work. Deduct 14,800,000, the number of state and city office employees, Now we're left with 200,000 to do the work. There are 188,000 in the hospitals and insane asylums, so that leaves 12,000 to do the work. It may interest you to know that there are 11,998 people in jail currently, so that leaves just two to carry the load. That's you and me, brother, and I'm getting tired of doing everything myself. And there's some problems with what he said there. If you're over 65, you take your spot on the field. If you're under 20, you better believe there's a place for you. If you're working in a government office, armed forces, what have you, you can make your ground holy ground. To take up the good works that God has beforehand ordained for you in Christ Jesus. But you know what? It sometimes feels that way, doesn't it? When we look around, it doesn't seem like anybody else is picking up their duty. When we look around, it seems like everyone else has a reason why they can't be engaged in the work of the kingdom. And once again, I'm not just talking about whatever it is we've got going on here within these walls. I'm talking about the universal kingdom work for the God and the Savior who has done everything that Paul has told us he's done in Ephesians chapter 1 and chapter 2. You need to know That though you once walked, a dead man, in your sins, God has rebirthed you and you are his workmanship. But that's not it. He has a plan. He's always had a plan that you would walk differently now and that you would walk in good works, being salt and light in this world. I'm not here this morning to help you uh, figure out where it is and how it is that you walk that out what job it is God wants you to take up, what responsibility, what part, what place on the field He wants you to cover. That's not the point this morning. The point is, get on the field. Get on the field. In light of the glory, of the grace which He has richly bestowed upon us in Jesus Christ, He deserves it. Amen? He deserves it out of every one of us. Let's pray. Father God, thank You for... Um. thank you for all you've done for us. And if we quickly forget all that you have accomplished for us and how far you have brought us out of our sinfulness, then we will be those who, who look at the work of your kingdom as maybe a burdensome task, an extra duty or responsibility. And that's not good. That's not... That's not how you have intended it. You have intended for us to walk out the remaining of our days in righteousness and holiness, in good deeds, in good works, in light of what you've accomplished for us in Jesus. So thank you, Lord, for reminding us this morning of your greatness. Thank you, Lord, for reminding us this morning that you do indeed deserve the entirety of our lives. Now, Lord, we we have to take that that principle. We've got to walk it out. This afternoon and Monday, we've got to figure out when we go to work tomorrow what all this means, what it means to us. And I may not be able in this preaching this morning, to uh, give that answer, Lord. Holy Spirit, would You bring that answer to any of those who seek to, to dare to ask You what You would require of them? Holy Spirit, would You speak to them very clearly what part of their life You would have, where on the field of the kingdom You would have them play. Father, help them to see wherever they are, Monday through Friday, Help them to see it as holy ground when they take you in their hearts, when they shine you as bright lights. No matter how small we think our part is, Lord, would you give us great pride in it. Would you take even the smallest contributions and make them grand to your glory? for those who uh, carry the greatest parts of the load, would you bring workers alongside them to not only shoulder the load, but to encourage them that they're not alone. We have many of those men and women in this church, Lord. Men and women who are, who are striving to make this church a lighthouse in this community. Lord, would you, would you give them partners in the ministry. Would you give them men and women willing to step up and come alongside that they would be an encouragement for the work of the kingdom. In Jesus' name. Thank you for listening today.